welcome to episode 99 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Asa DeSala. Carrie Holly Hurt. Hannah Murphy. Cara Bennett. Leah Clark. Kip Seussley. Carla Moffat. Duke Silver. Tyler Cockrum. Amy the Bee's Knees. Faye Sussex. Paige Jackson. Kishel Rowe. Ivy League Bacon. <laughs> Samantha Schofield. Grace Pepper. Amy Chapman. Lil Tanner. Angie and Amanda. Ashin. Rebecca Walsh. Kelson Egley. Taylor Mierzajewski. Dance by Nicole. Cecilia Kaideth. Meredith Mulhall. Thank you so much for your Patreon subscriptions. We massively appreciate it. And we appreciate you every single day. Yes, we do. And our film review this week. Our film review is 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later was released in 2002. It has 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb and 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Of course. After a mysterious virus wreaks havoc in the United Kingdom... A team of survivors tries to cope with the aftermath of the disaster and find security. What were your thoughts on this film? I blooming love this film. I've always loved it. We've had a long relationship. (laughs) No, it's a good film. I like it. We're not allowed to call them zombies because Danny Boyle is very strict about calling them the infected because they haven't come up from the dead. But I just like the way this is done. I think this is a proper infected movie. Can we just call it a zombie film? Yeah, just it's for, a proper zombie film. Everything is, everything is right about it, in my opinion. And it's done well, and it's done on a budget, and it just looks good. And I love every bit of it. I think the zombies, and I am going to call them zombies because it's just easier, in this film are the most terrifying zombies in any zombie film or, or series that I've ever seen. You know in The Walking Dead, if you, if you make a good sprint, yeah. you know, yeah. you can get away. Or even... A steady jog. You could probably get away. <laughs> well, there's that scene where they're leading them away from the settlement in um, Walking Dead and they are actually jogging in front of that herd, aren't yeah, just, they? Just, just yeah. going quite slowly. <laughs> yeah. But the zombies in this film are petrifying because they are fast and dangerous and violent and there is no getting away from them once they have discovered you. Oh, they absolutely... There's none of this like tapping, tapping, tapping until the window breaks. They just launch themselves through it. You are not safe in this film. And the thing that really gets me about this every time I watch it is that actually the most threatening thing in this film are the other humans. Yes. And it becomes such a role-reversed film. It is really quite traumatising to watch at points because you do put yourself in that situation where you think, well, what would I do? And how would I survive? And what would I have to do to survive? And who would I have to kill? It's such a mindfuck when you think about it. And then in the middle of all of this... You've got these crazy, fast, violent creatures that are out to get you at any at any one point. And really with this film, there's no subtlety, but that doesn't take away from it. Nope, not at all. It really doesn't. And Killian Murphy, I think, is outstanding in it. He's so baby-faced in it, though. <laughs> like, so yeah. baby-faced. I forgot how, just how young he looks until we watched it again. And I was like, oh my gosh, was he's that about his, 12. Was that his first big film? First big film, yeah. He'd done a lot of Irish films beforehand, but not that's his first sort of big, wider audience film 
and it's very like like you said it is very cleverly shot like there's great scenes where he's in a completely empty london yep and they had so i read about this afterwards because we were talking about how they did it and they had to stop they had like an hour where they would stop traffic first thing in the morning when it was bright and they would only have that time to film so they would like be running around london trying to get these shots done which is incredible and it's just it's just such a great film but there's one thing about this that really annoys me. Oh, okay. I didn't know there was anything that annoyed you. Yes. Killian Murphy joins forces with some people who have survived. And one of these people is a girl called Hannah, who is a teenage <laughs> girl and who is quite possibly the worst actor they could have gotten for the role. I know she was only a teenage girl when she did it, but she has no acting skill whatsoever. And I actually think it, detracts from certain scenes there because there are obviously really harrowing scenes really frightening scenes really sad scenes where terrible things happen and her acting ability was just not there i I really watching it again i was going oh i'd forgotten how much this annoys me should have just replaced her went on to have a very mediocrely successful music career as well yeah you found out that afterwards (laughs) we did a lot of like googling people after we watched this film again because it's so good and it is just, it's just a really good modern take on the zombie film. And actually, I didn't kind of realise how prevalent it was because the whole point of it was that modern humanity, we're not really afraid of people coming back from the dead, but what we are afraid of is disease and mm. how that would impact us. And that is, I mean, it could not be more prevalent for today's society, really. And it's just brilliant. I love it. I adore this film. Me too. I adore... There's one shot in particular, if you go and watch it or if, you're, if you've seen it a hundred times, you'll know what I'm talking about. But there is a great moment in the rain in this abandoned army checkpoint where the camera pans for a split second across Killian Murphy's face. And it is one of the most stunning, stunningly beautiful scenes in cinema history, I would argue. It's also accompanied by an awesome bit of music as well. Yes, it is. Very much so. Which is, that that bit of music I think is used in 28 weeks later, very briefly at the beginning, Mm. when Robert Carlyle is like running away from hordes of the infected. So I, what what would you give this film out of five? I'm going to give it four and a half, solely for the reason, and I feel that, you know, you you say this about Irish actors all the time, um, and and non-Irish people doing Irish accents, I feel the same applies here to Brendan Gleeson. If you uh, want a east london accent then potentially you get an east london actor and you don't get an irish person to pretend that they're from their cockney because it doesn't work oh controversial statements there i'm going to give it a four and a half as well and i adore this film but i cannot get past hannah (laughs) i also want to say that christopher eccleston is another actor that i'm not a massive fan of but he plays an awesome awesome character in this film the role suits him it does suit him and, and oh actually no, yeah, maybe 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 not the role suits him because that's making scurrilous claims about his character as a person but he plays the role incredibly well I think and he was the right man for the job even though I've seen him do another stuff which has been less than impressive which brings us to our story this week just for clarity's sake this is a pre-record in fact many of our recent episodes have been pre-records because I am currently in Ireland that's important. It is important that this is pre-recorded because if the world hadn't turned upside down and inside inside out, we would be, against Dan's will, right now preparing for our first ever live show. 
In Ed- yeah, we would. Oh in gosh. Edinburgh. <laughs> so we were due to be taking part in the Edinburgh Horror Festival, which I was really excited about. Dan less so, because he was mm. like, oh God. oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, what do we do? And I had been in contact with a rock bar called the Banshee Labyrinth. And they like have a massive role in the Edinburgh Horror Festival. And then they had suggested that we do a live show at the Edinburgh Horror Festival. And a little while ago, I put something up on Instagram, like a poll saying, if we did a show in Edinburgh, would you come and see it? Because I kind of was, I didn't want to say, we're going to do a show in Edinburgh, but I wanted to see, could we fill a venue of, you know, 50 people for this show? And then obviously we were, I was really excited about it. I'd spoken to Sinead and Nick from the Poisoner's Cabinet and I was like, right, you guys need to be involved. We could have a cocktail for the night. You can do some murder stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you had his stuff there. Sinead and Nick, you can do some murder. You can do some murder. <laughs> and then I had spoken to Greg, who is, uh, Greg wrote the music for this podcast and he had bazillions of ideas about how we could make it also a musical spectacle. Not like, not not a not a musical. I mean, this is sounding worse by the minute as far as I'm concerned, but... I think it sounds incredible. <laughs> and, you know, we had we had great plans, but obviously, you know, coronavirus had other plans. And the Edinburgh Horror Festival is still going ahead this year, but online. I, I'll leave the link to their website in the description. And um, if you Google Edinburgh Horror Festival, all the information will come up. And maybe we'll get to do it next year. But in the middle of all of this, I'd been talking to the Banshee Labyrinth, which is a really famous haunted area in edinburgh because it's built into the edinburgh vaults Ah, okay which is quite exciting and i'd spoken to um one of the proprietors of the banshee labyrinth and they said look hold up let me speak to some of the staff i'll get together all of our ghost stories and i'll send them to you Ooh, which is quite exciting right yeah so today which was going to be a part of our live show which has not been we are going to be talking about the Banshee Labyrinth. Are you ready? No, most definitely not. Edinburgh has a colourful and gruesome past and is home to some of the most haunted places in the world. The ancient narrow streets of the city's old town provide the perfect setting for some of the haunted stories and tours around the city. Greyfire's Kirkyard, home to the Black Mausoleum, has been the site of more than 500 recorded violent poltergeist attacks. The infamous body snatchers Burke and Hare stalked the streets looking for disposable victims when grave robbing came up short and were ultimately convicted of their crimes along with their associate Dr Robert Knox. The Edinburgh Dungeons and Blair Street Vaults were witness to a gruesome violent past. But today... We're going to talk about the Banshee Labyrinth, a haunted bar buried in the vaults deep underneath the city. The pub is built into the vaults that underlie Edinburgh's South Bridge in Old Town, connecting the south side and the volcanic slope running from Castle Rock to Holyrood Park, now known as the Royal Mile and Cannon Gate. The bridge itself is composed of 19 arches, but owing to the demands of high-density population, only one of which is still visible. The others compose the arches of the vaults, penetrating 22 feet down into the bedrock underlying the city. When the bridge was officially opened in 1788, a grand opening ceremony was arranged, 
where a wealthy and important Edinburgh citizen, the elderly wife of a well-respected local judge, was to be the first person to cross. As with many building projects, however, delays and unexpected difficulties plagued the project, and she passed away just a few days before the grand opening. Money had been exchanged, however, and contracts couldn't be negated, so the first body to cross Edinburgh's Grand Bridge crossed it in a coffin, something that many of the superstitious residents of the time believed to render the bridge cursed. Regardless, the bridge opened and the expansive vaulted arches were leased out to merchants, tradespeople and pub landlords. This was short-lived, however. Due to the aforementioned time constraints and funding issues during the construction, the surface of the bridge was never fully waterproofed and the prolific Scottish rainfalls seeped down into the unventilated internal caverns, which soon became waterlogged, dark and uninhabitable. The tradespeople and merchants vacated the premises and soon enough the vacant, dark, damp, cold stone tunnels were adopted by those without anywhere else to go. But also those that were in need of dark, isolated places to evade the law. Illegal distilleries, brothels and opium houses permeated extensive, overcrowded, underground slums. Crime was rife and living conditions were dank, with overcrowding and no access to sanitation, meaning widespread disease and suffering. Rumour has it that unscrupulous characters who made a living selling fresh corpses to the city's university medical department would target this area to murder those that wouldn't be missed. Although this is unconfirmed. Between the 15th and the 17th of November 1824, the Great Fire of Edinburgh broke out on Edinburgh's Royal Mile. Officially, 10 people died in the inferno, but persistent local rumour has it that the raging fires in the Tronkirk above the vaults essentially turned the underground stone vaults into a giant oven, spelling disaster for many of the destitute trapped inside. Eventually, many of the vaults were filled in with rubble and lay disused for over a century until they were excavated in the 1980s and several of the more accessible passageways were reopened to the public. Several of the bars built into the lower part of the bridge report regular supernatural activity, with many overlapping experiences, purportedly due to the original design of the vaults. They used to be connected through the long underground passageways that have since been walled up to separate the individual venues. For some reason, the Banshee Labyrinth seems to have a particularly strong concentration of this activity, even by the standards of the vaults. Many suspect that the Banshee's location and connection to Lord Nicol Edwards, after whom the previous pub on the site was named, he was the Lord Provost of Edinburgh during the reign of King James VI and VII, and he is to blame. He not only purportedly severely abused his wife, but was rumoured to have built an underground cell below his house, near to where the vaults were eventually constructed, in which he could personally torture women suspected of witchcraft before they stood trial. 
The pub that now occupies that site was originally going to be merely called the Labyrinth, owing to the multiple corridors, hidden rooms and disorienting staircases characteristic of the vaults. However, during the renovation in preparation to open, a couple of men working down in the lower vaults of the venue were interrupted by a loud, blood-curdling scream coming from inside the otherwise empty building. Coming up for air and to recover, one of the workmen received a phone call informing him that a family member had passed away and the pub became known as the Banshee Labyrinth. Over the 10 years Banshee has been open, the experiences of staff and customers are too numerous to describe in totality here. Of course, there's the usual haunted pub stuff. Glasses sliding across perfectly dry tables, stopping, changing direction, and then sliding off at right angles. Customers reporting their chairs being violently shaken by an unseen presence. Lights turning themselves on and off. Glasses exploding when no one is anywhere near them. Things moving by themselves and falling off shelves. The heavy old iron handcuffs attached to the grates of each room in particular have an unnerving tendency to swing by themselves when no one has been near them and there's no discernible draught. There are lots of small, everyday things too that we usually chalk up to having worked too many long night shifts in a row or not having had enough coffee yet. We'll bend down to turn on a set of switches and turn back to find the large shadow of a man standing directly behind us before promptly disappearing. An overwhelming sense of unease before the lights cut out in a room even though nothing has tripped when you check. Figures at the bottom of the stairs, or momentarily visible standing in doorways of the cinema or pool room, when for some reason you get that creeping urge to look behind you. Motion sensor hand dryers turn themselves on, and cubicle doors slam in the bathrooms when there's no one there. Women have felt an unseen presence touch them inappropriately while they're in the bathroom. A spirit that we call Old Jock. There's been a couple of times that I've absolutely decked it when in the building room on my own. Once when I was putting up a new LED lighting strip in the main entrance hallway, I heard someone clearly walking up the stairs towards me. Very aware that I was the only one that could possibly be in the building, I didn't even look back to see. I just bolted out the door, locked it behind me and waited outside until someone else arrived before going back in. More than one of us on an opening shift has left the building in search of another member of staff to come in for company when the sensation of being acutely and menacingly observed has been too strong. The owner reports that there's only one thing that's happened to him in the building that has ever really properly freaked him out. Back when he had just taken over the place and was busy doing it up, he was in with his family doing some bits and pieces and repainting the downstairs seating area that we now call MQS after Mary Queen of Scots with just the three of them in the building. They were in the middle of painting when their daughter, who was about three or four at the time, 
turned to him and asked, What does he want? When the owners asked, Who? She replied, The fire ghost. He asked her who the fire ghost was, and she said, The man. The man on fire by the door. Needless to say, they decided to take a wee break from the painting at that point. There is a lot that you can blame on strange acoustics, especially since the vaults are built from hard stone and have low arched ceilings. However, we have three bars in the pub, the most atmospheric of which is down at the end of a decently long stone corridor. On more than one occasion, I've been in the pub alone, getting the place ready to open, and I've been down in that bar, turning on the lights. Situated on the bar itself, so you have to go all the way into the back of the room in the dark. I've heard, clear as day, heavy, purposeful footsteps walking up the corridor towards the entrance to the room. I can't emphasise this enough. It is such a normal, natural sound that the first few times it happened, I called out to the person approaching something along the lines of, Hey, uh, I'm in the cave bar. So I didn't give them a fright. Before the footsteps stopped directly outside the open grates. That I'm looking straight at. And there was nobody there. It's at this point that I usually remember that I've bolted both doors behind me from the inside. Even if someone had a key, there's no way for them to get in. Very occasionally, members of staff are working early in the morning after a night shift, or who have become trapped in town when buses have been cancelled, will find a place to have a quick kip somewhere where they won't get in the way of the cleaners. Usually, the only place that's really appropriate is in one of the back bars that are only used during the weekends and remain locked throughout the quieter nights of the week. The long wooden pews that run along the wall in Cave Bar used to be a favourite. And on two separate occasions, two different members of staff were woken in the early hours by a tall, dark figure leaning over them. This dark figure is the most menacing presence in the building. He is utterly silent. But I believe it is him that is also the dark silhouette that is often seen standing in the entrances to many of the other rooms in particular, the cinema and the pool room, and is always preceded by a feeling of unease and a distinct sensation of being intently watched. One manager, opening on his own, unlocked the other of the back bars to turn the lights on one evening, to find a man silently sitting on one of the corner benches in bar 13, to which he had the same response that most of us working there do at this point when something like this happens. He just went, nope, retreated back into the corridor, relocked the bar. Previous staff members report that one particularly sceptical ex-supervisor, who used to purposefully antagonise the ghosts, shouting at them and challenging them, for example, was once dragged backwards into the cave bar by his neck. Frequently, when getting the pub ready to open, we'll hear whistling. Not exactly tuneless, but not really tuneful either, 
and somehow distinctly male. At first, I passed it off as background to the music playing. I always put on loud, happy music when in the building on my own, as it's much harder to be frightened by disembodied footsteps when something as ridiculously upbeat as Bewitched is playing in the background. (laughs) But then the music will stop, between tracks, and the whistling will continue. Not only that, but it will follow you around the building, sometimes coming from one side of you, and sometimes the other. On more than one occasion, when I have retreated to the office to count the safe, the whistling has started, loudly, and extremely clearly, from right on the other side of the office door. There's a CCTV camera situated just above that door, with the monitor displaying the feed just above the desk where I'm sitting. So you're sitting there, listening to this loud whistling coming right from the other side of the door, three feet away from you, while staring at a screen which is clearly showing you that nobody is there. The gig room, known as the chamber room, has its fair share of delights as well. Years ago, we had a medium in. It was before my time, so I'm not 100% sure of the details. But the rough story is that she reported that the chamber room housed the spirit of a man and several distressed women. The story goes that when the medium asked this man to release the spirits of the women, he refused, stating, I love each and every one of them. It is suspected that these spirits stem back from the 1800s, when the dark, damp tunnels of the vaults, otherwise abandoned by legitimate businesses, provided the perfect environment for crime, prostitution, gambling and murder. We used to use the large old fireplace in the gig room to stack the bar stools in the end of the night, stacked top to tail in such a way that there is no way that they can fall. The fireplace is completely flat. One manager was in the office when they heard an almighty crash and ran through to find the bar stools across the floor four metres away from the fireplace at the other side of the room. There is genuinely no way that they could have fallen out, or slipped. The bar stools were across the other side of the room. Now we upend them on the tables instead. The activity isn't totally constant. Sometimes we'll go weeks where the whole venue feels absolutely fine, and we can walk about and set up all the rooms without a second thought. And then suddenly things will start up again. During these times, I often will leave whole sections of the building to set up until another member of staff arrives, refusing to go down into the bottom corridor, and even closing the corridor doors to alleviate the intense feeling of being watched. Once after enjoying a good few weeks of a relatively good, friendly vibe throughout the pub, an American woman approached me at the bar and said, I know this sounds crazy, but I think I've got something that's yours. Can I give it back? She went on to explain that she'd been in a month or so beforehand for a few drinks, and ever since she felt like there was something with her. She'd started experiencing strange occurrences in her house, 
things moving, voices whispering, and a constant sensation of unease. Taking all of these things with a big pinch of salt, I half-jokingly agreed and told her, yep, totally, go ahead, just leave it wherever you found it. Something which I and the rest of the staff instantly regretted, when the atmosphere distinctly and immediately changed, and the activity started up again. But fair is fair, I guess. There's a room in one of the other vaults that belongs to one of the tour companies, where the floor of the vault is nearly entirely taken up by a large circle of stones, which it said was constructed to contain a demon. Our pool table is directly below that stone circle, and we suspect that this demon is probably the one and the same as our demon, or poltergeist, that we have come to call Kaligan. Mostly because it's a silly name for a poltergeist, and when you're working with these things every day, you need some way of staying remotely sane. Kaligan has been known to move people's pints, even knocking them off tables, draw the hanging fabric across the curtain rails at the back of the room, and interfere with the jukebox. Kaligan is rarely seen, but he just tends to cause trouble. Not all of the presences felt in the building are malevolent, however. Molly is our most well-known spirit. She was a little girl, about six years old, who went missing in the 1700s and was never found. When the building was being converted back into a working pub and they were blocking up all the old chimneys, a little shoe with her name written on it fell out. Her remains were never found, and it's not known how she died, whether in an accident in the vaults, or by other unscrupulous means. But she has been a consistently active presence over the years. Unlike some of the other presences, Molly isn't threatening or ominous at all. She usually makes herself known by gently tugging on people's clothing, trying to hold people's hands, or from the sound of little footsteps or laughter. One supervisor reportedly felt a little hand smack him on the bum from behind, which he describes as one of the more bizarre experiences. She reportedly likes to play, and took to one of the old managers so much that they used to play hide-and-seek around each of the rooms when she was doing the rounds on the open. Molly has been seen on several occasions, most recently by a woman who came up to the bar to check that we definitely didn't allow children into the building. And then added, Also, I think she walked through a closed grate? She said that a little girl had walked out of the room where the cave bar is, that was indeed locked shut, and stood at the end of the corridor just looking at her before disappearing. I went down with her to take a look, reassuring her that Molly was well-known and non-threatening. But sure enough, just one half-metre square patch of air, right where the lady said Molly had been standing, was freezing cold. But just that one tiny patch. Cave Bar itself, as far as we can work out, seems to be the site of a trapped, repeating memory of some sort, 
multiple different and unrelated staff over the years have reported seeing a woman walk straight past the bar out of the corner of their eye over and over again when there's no one else in the room as if someone's transit has been stuck on a never-ending loop i've been sitting at that bar on my night off and turned around to talk to somebody i could feel standing a couple of feet away from my right shoulder only to find that no one was there recently a staff member was locking the grates to cave bar when they saw a woman walk towards them from inside the empty bar. I sort of brushed off this report until I came in the next day and the sound engineer, who had arrived about half an hour before I did, without prompting, went, We've got a new one. There's a woman's voice coming from the cave bar now. No one had told him about the bartender's experience from the night before. I mean, obviously, I'm really disappointed that we don't have to go on tour to this really haunted place, which has one of my favourite all-time types of ghosts, a little girl ghost. The devastation I'm feeling right now is overwhelming. I bet. Can you hold yourself together for the rest of this episode? Can you try not to cry? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll brave it out. Let's talk about Molly first, so I can just forget about her. She seems fun enough. It disturbs me that they were renovating and the little shoe fell out of the chimney oh that's horrific with her name on it that is horrific yep that would have been enough for me i'm out i like that there was a manager that was able enough to play hide and hide and seek with her that's absolutely just... not like i would consider myself a relatively brave person you know but i would not be playing hide and seek with no little girl ghost no. And I'm not I'm not in the Zach Bagan school of thought where I immediately assume a little girl ghost is a demon. No, I'm not. But do I want to be using up my time playing hide and seek with a dead child? No, I do not. No. I'm banging the table, so I'm sorry if you can hear that, but I feel very intently about this. I feel like, talking about Zach Bagans, I feel like the Banshee Labyrinth has a lesson for Mr. Bagans. Which is? That ex-supervisor that thought it'd be fun to call out the ghosts ended up getting dragged backwards by his neck into a bar. Yep. That should learn him. That'll teach him. Yep. Not having Zach Bagans. Here is your proof. Don't mess with stuff that you can't handle. Although I'm sure you'd say you can handle it. In that chamber room, though, with the medium, where there was the man and several distressed women, and she asked them to let go and he was like no i love each and every one of them oh that gives me the heebie-jeebies no 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 it's not surprising though is it i guess because it was a real sort of underground location i don't mean physically underground that was a really bad choice of words um as in dark underground as in like the underworld underworld was the word i was looking for that's it real underworld location Not, not werewolves and vampires like crime murder waifs and strays that kind of underworld yeah not hades either no, not Hades either. That's too far. <laughs> but yeah, so it was that kind of location. That kind of stuff goes on a lot of negative energy around there, I'd imagine anyway. But some of this stuff is horrible. Like that woman that said, oh, I think I've got something of yours. 
I'd be like, no, sorry, we don't actually take returns. Yeah. This is a pub. Doesn't matter. Don't take returns. Sorry. He's your demon now. Yeah, you can you keep can... him. So obviously just went on a little... I mean, that answers the question, do ghosts go on holiday? Yes, they do. Because he went on holiday yeah. to this lady's house for a bit of time. Wreaked havoc in her house for a bit. Pissed her off. And it's funny how they said, yeah, as a joke. And then the atmosphere changed and stuff started happening again. Uh, it was SJ who sent me this story, yeah. by the way. So... Thank you so much for sending this in. Like, I really want to go here now. And this isn't any sort of before, you know, anybody questions it. Yeah, me too. It. I'm so devastated. This isn't like a <laughs> promo or like an advert or whatever people might think it is. Like, we were just meant to do this show. We didn't get the chance to do it. And I was very aware that I had this really well thought out story sitting in my inbox from SJ from the Banshee Labyrinth. So I was like, right, we're dedicating an episode to this. We'll get in a little bit of the Edinburgh Vaults, which I think is something we need to talk about in further detail later, because it's such a chaotic time of history mm. that imagine imagine that actually happened. There was these underground vaults with like brothels, secret bars, gambling, where people hunted for victims to murder, because if you murdered somebody from the vaults, nobody's going to miss them, are they? Like, yeah. it must have been just crazy it must have been a crazy crazy place to have to live don't think entirely unique to edinburgh either but um no definitely not there was there was other places obviously yeah. that had uh, not necessarily underground underworlds but it's just that edinburgh's happened to be underground it reminds me of the kind of stuff that goes on in the shanghai well that went on in the shanghai tunnels in there uh, in portland it's that kind of underground world that they just didn't know about or just turned a blind eye yeah, to because it's more far easier. Eye blind yeah. eye to. Um, I have got massive respect for the owner because yes. if I had bought this bar and I'd been doing it up and my daughter had said to me, what does he want? The fire ghost, the man on fire by the door, I would have put it for, up for sale that instant. I would have rang the estate agent and said, sorry. Not interested <laughs> Not in this Not interested bar. anymore. All yours. Back on the market, please. Off we go. And it's, it is, it's, I mean, kids see everything, don't they? Kids know everything. Oh. I also love the fact that they had a Banshee incident in the pub. And obviously, like, we know that Banshees aren't location-based. They're family-based. So I'd love to know the name of this person that, that heard the Banshee, purely because they Banshees generally follow families with an O or a Mac. And... I love that they went, okay, that's it. We're going to call it the Banshee Labyrinth yeah. because that is that is crazy to hear that screaming in the labyrinth and then get the phone call. Do you know what else is crazy? The whistling. Yeah. I think that was the thing that disturbed me the most about this whole <laughs> story because there's lots of stuff going on. There's like lots of... I love the way um, SJ started off by saying, you know, we have the standard poltergeist stuff like glasses flying around <laughs> and things exploding and blah, 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 blah. But really what you need to look out for is the little girl and the demon that's been trapped in that stone circle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if I was in that office and I heard the whistling on the other side of the door, I would absolutely shit myself. Yeah. I would shit myself. And in between the songs and the music. Yeah. Uh, even if it was Bewitched because, you know, Bewitched, as we all know, is the ultimate way of protecting yourself from demons. Yeah, fight like you are. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit like the hook, isn't it? What do you from mean? I know what you did last summer. It's that kind of persistent noise. Is it, is it that where you hear the scraping of the hook? 
Oh, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen. I know what you I did mean, last it's, summer. It's trash, really, but <laughs> I, it's one of those like teen slasher films. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? Um, Where they run over a guy. <laughs> I, I know the film. Yeah. So yeah, it's just for that. It's that noise, isn't it? That constant following. There's something really eerie about whistling as well. Yes. Like, I mean, it's not supposed to be. We've had that the Whistler episode, haven't yeah, we? Where it is just disturbing. It's not supposed to be though, is it? That's the point. Like it's no. supposed to be upbeat and jolly, and like you do it to pass the time. And but then there's like creepy whistling and this falls solidly into the creepy category yeah definitely falls into creepy whistling category that's I mean, very true i'm not sure that to be honest with you i'm ever gonna get over the fact that i can't visit this place because it's so up my street i'm gonna find it real hard to sleep tonight knowing that we we should have been there we missed that opportunity firsthand curse you covid <laughs> dan could have had the opportunity to see not only a little girl ghost but a demon experience some poltergeist activity hear a whistler and have a nice pint while you're at it so devastating it all could have happened for you i mean part of me hopes that the demon makes full use of the pool table and hustles people yes and also it's a great way to pass the time i would imagine what playing pool with the demon yeah 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 so i would obviously (laughs) like to thank sj for sending in this story and for just liaison with me in any way shape or form like it, it's thank you and also please go and check out the edinburgh horror festival uh i haven't told them that we're doing this episode but it would be nice for them to have an upsurge in people watching their content online we don't have the capacity to do that at the moment unfortunately but hopefully we'll be able to do some sort of live show maybe next year if i can get down to the banshee labyrinth he's looking at me now and he's like no i'm not going <laughs> there bit. we really shouldn't have done Absolutely this uh, not. before we go <laughs> and if you enjoyed this week's episode you can go to our website www.reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com where you can find the link to all our social medias you can find the link to our email address to send in your own spooky story and you can also find the link to our patreon where for five dollars a month you get access to heaps of extra little weekly episodes and for two dollars a month you get access to the complete back catalog of 50p movie club which is another podcast that i do the end (laughs) also make sure that you check out edinburgh horror festival it is edhorrorfest.co.uk on the internet that's not ed's horror fest that's something completely different just ed horror fest (laughs) so if you google edinburgh horror festival it will take you to where you need to go and on that note we shall see you next week bye